as we get started this morning in our Life on Mission sermon series, trying to explore what does it mean for us uh, as God's people to find God's heart for the world. And that's really what we're trying to do over these next six weeks. Uh, before we get into the text and we get too far, why don't we go ahead and, and ask God to bless our time together. So if you bow your heads with me, I'd appreciate it. Lord, we do thank you for today, and we thank you for your word that is living and active. We thank you that your word tells us the truth about ourself and the world and about you. And so, Lord, we come this morning, and, and we desire to hear from you. We desire to, to listen. We desire to learn. We desire to come close and to be changed. And so, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? I pray that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 27, after this, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He's at work. And he, Jesus, said to him, follow me. And Levi, the tax collector, also known as Matthew, got up, left everything, left the booth, left the money, left the spreadsheet, left the calculator, left the green visor, whatever else he used. He got up, left everything, and followed him. Verse 29, then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here it's so clear that we see Jesus' heart in this text. Jesus has come to save sinners. Jesus has come to heal the sick. Jesus has come to save those people that need saving. And as I read through this text this week and I was working on the sermon, there's a couple things that stood out to me. The first was the word sinners. It was the word sinners. And as I was getting ready to put that into the, the bulletin, I thought, well, sinners is such a strong word. What do we just go? People that are lost. People that need Jesus. That sounds so much better. And then, then it sort of hit me. It's, you know, the word is in the text for a reason. You know, they said sinners because they're sinners. And Jesus says, I've come not to call uh, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I've got a mission, and my mission is for sinners. And that's who's here in the text is sinners. And that's who's here in the church, is sinners. Now, we don't like to acknowledge that we're sinners, but we must. If we're going to connect with others that have struggles with sin. I think we don't like the word sinners because it implies that we sin. And if you sin, that means you've done something wrong. And if you've done something wrong, then you should feel bad. And nobody wants to feel bad. And so we don't want people to feel bad. And so we don't use the word sinners because if we did, they might feel bad. And they might think that they did something wrong. And if they did something wrong, they might think that they sinned. And if they thought that they sinned, then they might think that they themselves were a sinners. But that's how it is, friends. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a sinner. Let's just have some affirmation here. <laughs> Look at your other neighbor and say, you also are a sinner. You can all look at me and call me a sinner. Let's just, let's just have it out there right now. There we go. 
Friends, you know, we don't call sinners sinners because we don't call sin sin. We've stopped calling sin sin. I don't know if you've noticed, but somewhere in the last 20, 30, 40, maybe 50, maybe this has been going on for a long time. As a matter of fact, I think it has. We've stopped calling sin sin. You know, it's not lying. I mean, he's a salesman, right? And so he just doesn't tell all of the truth, or he's just creative with the truth. But it's not a lie. You know, oh, I don't have vulgar language. I'm just a colorful communicator. You know, they're not bad words. It's just, it's a blue streak, right? I'm like an artist working in that. That's, that's how we use those words. You know, n- nobody fornicates anymore. They just sleep together. Nobody's a drunk. They just like to party. Do, do you see how this works? We've stopped calling sin, sin. It's not pornography. It's just adult entertainment. I don't commit sin. They're just different choices than you. You're just a little more morally conservative than I am. But friends, Scripture calls us sinners. And in this text, there's a party full of sinners. The Pharisees are there. They walk by and they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That's the word. It's like they walked by and they noticed that every sinner in town is at that house right now. They've not been to synagogue in years, but my goodness, look at them. They're at the party. It's like a sinner's party. What are you doing there, Jesus, with the sinners? You read this text in Matthew. Jesus calls them out. He says, you know, I've come not to heal the the well, but the sick. He says, you need to go and learn that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he calls the Pharisees out for sinning. Because they are sinners. But they don't know it. And so there's a special category for sinners that don't admit the fact that they're sinners. We call them hypocrites. In your bulletin today, I've, I've given you some name tags. I've had several of you ask me about them. Hello, my name is Sinner. Or hello, my name is Hypocrite. If as you look at this and you think about putting one of these on, you're like, neither one of these really applies. Go with hypocrite. I think it would fit real well. True story. But friends, that's us. We're sinners. We're all sinners. It was so profound last service. Donna Dutton, who is as close to a saint as anybody else here at this church, she got her name tag out, and you know what? She put hers on because she gets it. She's a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. There's only one other person in this text besides sinners and hypocrites, and that's Jesus. And his name tag says Messiah, but here's the thing. He picked it up on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it's not available for you to wear. One or the other. And it's important that we acknowledge the fact that we're sinners. If you're a Christian, yes, you are a saved sinner. You are a child of God. You are redeemed. Yeah, I get that. But you're not perfect. You still struggle with sin, and those who struggle with sin, we call them sinners. And it's time we acknowledge that. Because here's the thing. If we start to trick ourselves that we don't have sin, that we can't acknowledge our sin, our sinfulness, we start to fool ourselves into thinking that we are without sin. And here's the really scary thing. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. It is a really short distance from being a saved sinner to a self-righteous hypocrite. It is a short distance from being a saved sinner to a self-righteous hypocrite. It's like that close. 
Because here's what happens. As you come to know Christ, you accept his grace. You accept the fact that he's redeemed you. And you think, man, I hate sin. I hate sinfulness. I want to get rid of the sin in my life. But you can't because, you know, it, it, we're all works in progress. Philippians tells us God's still doing stuff in our lives. And you're never going to be free from it. So instead of dealing with it, we ignore it and we deny it. And we don't deal with the sinfulness. We just sort of deny the sinfulness. And we start to trick ourselves that we're without sin. And First John tells us that if we say we have no sin, the only person we deceive is us. You're not tricking anybody else. You're not tricking God. You're just tricking you. So it's important we acknowledge our sinfulness because if we don't, then we start to go down this dangerous path of being somebody who says, well, I'm sort of justified by my own goodness, just like the Pharisees did. You know, we talk a lot of trash about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we sing songs about them in Bible school, and, and they're not positive, and we, we wrestle with that. But here's the thing, is that I think these, these folks started out in a pretty positive place. I think they said, you know what, I love God, I love God's Word, I want to study God's Word, I want to be committed to teaching God's Word, I want to help people find God. That's where these Pharisees started. You know, the Pharisees were actually like the working man, the working family's, like, pastor. They ran the synagogues, and they worked with a lot of the poor and the disenfranchised. The elite, they had the Sadducees, but the poor folks had the Pharisees. And, and they started out, I think, in a place where they're like, man, I want to help people. But they got distracted by their own self-righteousness. It's easy to get distracted. And sometimes that's what happens to us. I mean, you look through the, the gospel, you see Judas. Judas is a, an apostle, right? And what does it say about him? Judas was like, if there was a vice president in charge of apostle operations, it was Judas. Judas sits at the right hand of Jesus at the Last Supper. That's like the number one place of honor. Judas kept the finances. He kept the book. He kept the money. You don't give those to somebody you don't trust. Judas was this trusted disciple. But what happened? Something snuck in. He got distracted by the love of money or prestige or whatever it was. Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, they started out as, as Christ followers, but they saw that when people were generous in dramatic ways, that they got a lot more respect in the community. And so they said, you know what? Why don't we lie to the church and we're going to tell them we did this, but we're really going to do that. They got distracted. And, and friends, if we can't be real with ourselves about who we are, and if we can't be real with God about who we are as a sinner, then we are in that, that path, that short walk from being a saved sinner to a self-righteous hypocrite. And so this morning, if, if you're here and you say, all right, I get it, I'm a sinner, I, I want you to know that, that you should feel good about that. Well, what, what do you mean I should feel good about being a sinner? Well, well, well look at the text. What, what does Jesus specifically say in verse 32? He says, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're here and you're not a sinner, you might as well go home because Jesus hasn't come for you. I, maybe he'll come later for you, but he's come right now for sinners. And so if you are a sinner, you're in good company. Christ has come for you. Christ has come. This morning might have been really hard for you. You might have come here feeling really good about yourself, and now, and now you've come to realization that you're a sinner, and you're, you're struggling with that. Um, it happens. You know, it happens. So what I'd like to do here, just, just a little bit of time left here. I want to, I wanna, for those of you, this is sort of like an introduction to sinners for those of you that forgot you were one, okay? I just want to go through a few things here we notice in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, first is this, is that Jesus has got a mission for us. Jesus calls us to be sinners reaching sinners, okay? Here's the thing with sinners is, is 
you can't like always tell like somebody's a sinner just by looking at their life because they could be successful or they could be failures or they could be healthy or they could be sick or or they could be wealthy or they could be poor. But but there are a whole lot of healthy, successful, wealthy sinners running around the world. And if you can't admit to the fact that you're a sinner and that you have a legitimate, honest, desperate need for Jesus Christ, then what do they need? If you can't say, you know what, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus, then why do they need Jesus? If you don't need him, then why does anybody need him? We've got to be honest about who we are and about our need because Jesus has called us as sinners to reach sinners. And Jesus, if you notice his life, you'll see one thing about him is that sinners were drawn to Jesus and he associated with them. There, there was something about Jesus that when Jesus walked down the road, people were like, wow, I want to spend time with that guy. Sinners were drawn to Jesus. They were. They were. And as you think about sinners, where are sinners drawn to? Are sinners drawn to the church? I don't think so. That's one of the things, if you were in the, the study this morning, you, they were talking about how, how do Christians portray themselves? How do Christians, as, as Lee Strobel says, li- live these winsome lives that, that people are, are, are made thirsty by the saltiness of it? And they look at that and they go, man, that's the kind of life that I'm interested in. Jesus lived that way. People were drawn to him. Sinners were drawn to him. Sinners were comfortable with him. And, and you know what? It, it wasn't always a popular thing. I know a lot of times we think, you know, yeah, sinners and Jesus, and Jesus was there, and that was great, and we sort of celebrated that. No. I'll tell you, you're gonna, if, you, if you take this seriously and you start to reach out to sinners, some sinners you know, there might be bad things. Here's what they said about Jesus. Jesus is calling them out. The Pharisees are trash-talking Jesus again. Um, and he says, listen, you know, nothing makes you happy. Luke 7, 33 through 35 says this, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he's had a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus says, listen, Pharisees, you're so concerned about why I don't fast and why my disciples don't fast, but here's the thing. John came fasting, and you said that he was demon-possessed. And now here I've come not fasting, but celebrating the inaugural uh, you know, kingdom of God coming into the world, and you've said that I'm just a drunkard and, you know, a sinner. What's the deal? Here's the thing, friends, is, is you're not going to make everybody happy. You're not. But, but the, the question that we've got to ask ourselves, are we honest about who we are? And are we, are we honestly sharing Christ with the people around us? Are, are people drawn to us because Jesus is alive and active in our souls and in our lives? Hemet Mehta uh, is an atheist who visited a bunch of churches, wrote about it in a book. I think it was titled, I Sold My Soul on eBay. I didn't, I didn't read it, but the <laughs> The title's funny. Um, He writes this. He says, I spent months attending an amazing variety of churches in different parts of the country. I kept running across a consistent and troubling truth about American Christianity. It is clear that most churches have aligned themselves against non-religious people. As an outsider, he comes and he attends worship and he says, it's clear to me that American Christians have aligned themselves against non-religious people. By adopting the stance... Christians have turned off the people I would think they want to connect with. Friends, I, I think he's on to something. Are, are we known by the love that we have that comes from Christ? What about you? Are, are sinners drawn to you? Do they know that when they talk to you, they're talking to a sinner just like them, but, but with Jesus? 
Or do they look at you and go, you know, they pretend to have their act together, but it's not. You know, it's amazing to me, Christians, we get all been out of shape about, you know, people, you know, on the side of the road, you know, God is dead, and, you know, some guy that's out of his mind, and he's, you know, he's got a sandwich board that talks about how God's not there, and, you know, we get bent out of shape about that. But let me ask you a question. Does that really damage people's faith? Do people look at that and they're like, oh, wow, if this homeless guy on the side of the road says God is dead, he must clearly be dead. Or, or is the world more bothered when Christians who take the name Jesus Christ go out and live as though Jesus didn't really live? When Christians go out and they, instead of admitting the fact that they're sinners, they, they're hypocrites. Which of those do you think is more damaging for the cause of Christ? Friends, it's us. It's not anybody else. And it's time we came to grips with that fact. The second thing here is Jesus knew that sinners needed a Savior. Uh, and he was handed over to sinners for sinners. Uh, friends, we're all in this boat together. We're, we're all helpless when it comes to eternity. And so Jesus, he literally did everything for us, right? He came, he taught, he died, he rose from the dead so that we could be saved. That's what he did. After his resurrection, the women, they go to the tomb to, to, uh, to, to see Jesus. They think he's dead. They don't know he's risen from the dead. The angel is there. And, and listen to the way this is phrased in the New Revised Standard that, that Luke records the angel saying this to Jesus. Luke 24 says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Jesus had to be handed over to sinners. He was handed over from God to sinners. Why? So that sinners could be saved. So that you could receive Jesus. Jesus' job, his number one job, his only job was to save sinners. And when he left planet Earth, he gave us that same job. To draw people, to call people back. Because we all need Jesus. Now some of you this morning, you're thinking, well, I just, you know, I'm not Jesus. Well, no, you're not. That's true. You know, I don't know much about Jesus. Well, let's go back to our text here. Levi. Levi's known Jesus according to this text how long? Like five minutes maybe? Jesus comes and says, hey, Levi, follow me. And Levi says, left everything and follows Jesus. Then what does Levi do? He invites all of his friends to come and meet Jesus. What, what did that take? It didn't take a lot of knowledge. Who is this guy? I don't know, but there's something about him. You ought to meet him. Come meet Jesus. Jesus, you think, well, you know, I've got a reputation. I don't know how people would think about me inviting people to know Jesus. Well, you know, maybe it's because you're not living like, like you're a Christian. You know, that can change real quick. People say, what's got into you? You say, Jesus, what do you think Levi said? I said, Levi, wait a second. You, this guy, you know, you're a tax collector. You've got a good income. You know, you've got a successful job. You know, a couple more years, you can retire. This guy's like a homeless wandering rabbi. He, you're going to get in the VW bus with him and strum your guitar on the side of the road and what? Really? Friends, this is Levi. It didn't make sense for him either. You say, well, I don't know any church people. Perfect. Those are the kinds of people Jesus is looking for. The non-church people. Levi says, I know all these people that don't know Jesus. They need to meet him. That's what he did. That's what we're called to do. And if we do that, if we take that seriously, listen to this right here. Last one here. Heaven rejoices more in a sinner repenting than over 99 who don't need to repent. Uh, you've, you've probably heard, you've probably read this here, but Luke 15, 4 through 7 says, Which of you, 
having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The answer to that question is nobody. Nobody says, I've got 99 sheep here, I've lost one, I'm going to leave all of these to chance in hopes that I recover one. You get the picture, don't you? Jesus is here with all the sheep. These are the church sheep, the 99 church sheep, and then you've got that one sheep that left the fold. And Jesus says, I'm going to go after him. What happens? He says, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Friends, I'll tell you, one person comes forward, God's a little more excited about that than all of us being here gathered together. He really is. He really is. And I know we're, we're sort of like those 99 sheep. This is the pen. Jesus leaves going to look for the lost. What are those 99 sheep thinking? It's wilderness. It's nighttime. It's dark. They're going, what about me? You know, that's what they're saying. You're welcome. But that's us, isn't it? I mean, we come to church like, what about me? What about my needs? What about all the things that I need, Jesus? Come on, I, I need a better dinner. I need a place to sleep. I need green grass. I need a better pen. Uh, you know, I need all these things. And Jesus says, that's great. You're here. Stay here. Uh, there's, one, there's one that's lost. I got to go find them. I got to go find them. And friends, that's what Christ has called us to do. Heaven does not say when a sinner comes home, there goes, a, there goes the neighborhood. A sinner just moved in. Guess we're going to have to move. Heaven rejoices that a lost child of God has found their way home. This morning, I, I want to close with this from uh, Sam Shoemaker. Sam Shoemaker uh, was instrumental in, in uh, the beginning of AA, uh, worked with, with Bill W. a lot on, on sort of figuring out how does God and how does faith work with recovery. And so he writes this. It's, it's kind of a poem. It's kind of a narrative. But, but he writes this. It's called, I Stand by the Door. He says, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk to find God. There's no use in my going way inside and staying there when all so many are outside the door. And they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is a wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for a man to find the door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to a man's own touch. Men die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it because they haven't found it. So nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, go all the way in. Go down into the cavernous cellars, way up into the spacious attics, in the vast roomy house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements and withdraw in silence and sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and yell out to us the heights and depths of God and tell us how wonderful it is. But my place seems closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget what it was like before they got in. 
then they would be able to help the people who have not yet found the door. Because you can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. So as for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as to hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I'm intended to put on the latch, so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I would rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. Friends, our worship team is going to come up, and that's my prayer for us, is that we would be people that stand by the door, that we would be sinners reaching sinners. I've got a challenge for you this morning, and it's just it's real simple. It's not hard. This won't take a lot of brain power. Uh, on your sermon notes section there, I'd love for you to just write three names of people that you want to pray for. That's it. That's all. Three people that you would like to see come to know Jesus Christ. Hopefully you know those names right off the top of your head. If you're like, I don't know three people that need Jesus, you should write your name there and pray that you would find some folks. But let's write three names down. And th as we get through this study, let's think about what are the ways that God's doing something in their lives and what are the ways that God's maybe calling me to, to, to help, help that person find the door. That's your challenge this morning. Others of you, perhaps you've got a decision to make. And you say, you know what, I, I want to make a commitment to serve at a church that's, that's serious about trying to reach the lost. I want to make a commitment to, to being a part of a congregation. Or maybe you're saying, you know, I've never received the gift of Jesus Christ. If that's the case, you, you don't have to wait. This morning's a great morning for you to do that. Why don't you stand as we sing this?